Well, this evening, we're going to consider together the truths of God's Word as they're summarized in Article 35 from our Belgic Confession. You can find that on page 87. And uh, we're going to consider that in two Sundays, two Lord's Days. Um, But before we read from that, I'd like to read with you from John chapter 6. Now, we have read this passage before, beginning in uh, verse 35. But it reveals some truly essential truths about the nourishment we receive, the nourishment that we need from our Savior. So I'd like to read this passage with you just as a reminder of uh, what lies behind this. Jesus has been gathering crowds at this point. And so he took his disciples uh, really across the top of the the Sea of Galilee and uh, was teaching them in a, a desolate place and yet the crowds came to him Despite that, he fed them there, fed 5,000 men plus the women and children who were there. Then they went back across to Capernaum, they taking the boat, the disciples taking the boat, he meeting them on the sea, walking. And then the crowd joins him again in, in Capernaum. And there we hear Jesus say in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, And yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me. That everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The Jews then complained about Him, because He said, I am the bread which, come, which came down from heaven. And they said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that He says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day, as it is written in the prophets, and they shall, be, shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews, therefore, quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. 
This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Amen. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Now in article 35 of our Belgic Confession, we're reminded that we believe and confess that our Savior Jesus Christ did ordain and institute the sacrament of the Holy Supper to nourish and support those whom he has already regenerated and incorporated into his family, which is the church. Now, those who are regenerated have in them a twofold life, the one corporal and temporal, which they have from the first birth and is common to all men, the other spiritual and heavenly, which is given them in their second birth, which is affected by the word of the gospel in the communion of the body of Christ. And this life is not common, but is peculiar to God's elect. In like manner, God has given us for the support of the body and earthly, bodily and earthly life, earthly and common bread, which is subservient thereto and is common to all men, even as life itself. But for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life, which believers have, he has sent a living bread, which descended from heaven, namely, Jesus Christ who nourishes and strengthens the spiritual life of believers when they eat Him, that is to say, when they appropriate and receive Him by faith in the Spirit. In order that He might represent unto us the, this spiritual and heavenly bread, Christ has instituted an earthly and visible bread as a sacrament of His body, and wine as a sacrament of His blood, to testify by them unto us, that as certainly as we receive and hold this sacrament in our hands and eat and drink the same with our mouths by which our life is afterward nourished, we also do as certainly receive by faith, which is the hand and mouth of the soul, the true body and blood of Christ our only Savior in our souls for the support of our spiritual life. Now, as it is certain and beyond all doubt that Jesus Christ has not enjoined to us the use of his sacraments in vain, so he works in us all that he represents to us by these holy signs, though the manner surpasses our understanding and cannot be comprehended by us, as the operations of the Holy Spirit are hidden and incomprehensible. In the meantime, we err not when we say that what is eaten and drunk by us is the proper and natural body and proper blood of Christ. But the manner of our partaking of the same is not by the mouth, but by the Spirit through faith. Thus then, through, though Christ always sits at the right hand of his Father in the heavens, yet he does not therefore cease to make us partakers of himself by faith. This feast is a spiritual table at which Christ communicates himself with all his benefits to us and gives us there to enjoy both himself and the merits of his sufferings and death, nourishing, strengthening, and comforting our poor comfortless souls by the eating of his flesh, quickening and refreshing them by the drinking of his blood. Amen. And we stop there until next time. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, Every once in a while, not always, but now and then, my body does something rather odd, and I'm sure yours does too. Generally, it happens when I get really wrapped up in some sort of project, something that really grabs my attention, maybe some sermon work that I've gotten really wrapped up in, or a renovation project where I'm on a roll. It almost always ends up happening 
when my wife and kids are away and, and I'm working on my own and I don't have the, the distractions but also the encouragement to come and join them. What happens is I get all wrapped up in this thing that I'm doing. I'm really concentrating and suddenly out of nowhere my body makes a, just a absolutely unexpected and un, uh, unignorable noise as my stomach growls. And if I ignore it, pretty soon it does it again, even more insistently, even more loudly. And it will continue doing so for quite a while, reminding me that I've forgotten something rather important. I've forgotten to take in nourishment. I've forgotten to eat. All our bodies do it. We develop a rhythm, and we were meant to develop a rhythm to our eating. Breakfast at this time, lunch at that time, supper at this other time. And we can mix up that rhythm. We can maybe take lunch a half hour later, breakfast a half hour earlier. It doesn't really affect us much. But if we totally destroy that rhythm, if we decide suddenly that instead of three meals a day, we're only going to have two, and we're going to skip this one, or, or instead of having supper at 5.30, we're going to have it at 8.30. Our bodies will, in a very small way, rebel. Will remind us that we've gotten out of our rhythm. That our bodies, if they're to continue serving, functioning at peak power. They need nourishment. They need fuel. Our bodies must be fed if they are to work as they are meant to work. And so must our souls. Though our souls don't let out a grumble like our bodies will, our souls are just as in need of nourishment, of being fed. If they are to continue to operate as they ought to operate, if they are to continue functioning at peak value. And that's what the Lord's Supper is all about, reminding us that we must be nourished, not only physically, but also spiritually. And more than a reminder... It also helps to provide the nourishment that we need. We confess that Christ established a spiritual meal in order to nourish his spiritually renewed people. And that's our theme this evening. Can we confess that Christ established a spiritual meal to nourish his spiritually renewed people. Now, as we consider that, we need to consider the source of the nourishment that we need and then the sign that God has given us of that nourishment. And then finally, we'll look at the essence of the nourishment that we receive. But, but let's start by looking at that source. When Jesus established the Lord's Supper, it was shortly before going to the cross. The Apostle Paul relates that establishment in 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. When Jesus did that, he established not so much a new sacrament as a transformation of an existing sacrament. He transformed the Passover into the Lord's Supper. 
a, a renewed, a transformed sacrament for a new era of re redemption history. The sacrament not of actual flesh and physical blood poured from the body of a lamb, but now the sacrament of flesh represented by bread, of blood signified by wine. Because now the true lamb had already come. He had poured out his blood. His flesh had been broken. And so now a new sacrament was needed. No longer looking forward, no longer a sacrament of promise, but now looking backward at the completion of the sacrifice that had been accomplished. To rightly understand the Lord's Supper, we need to rightly understand ourselves, however. Our confession points out that we are, in a sense, twofold creatures. When we talk about life, talk about being alive, generally speaking, we're implying that life of the body, that life of the flesh. That's what doctors deal with, right? You go to the emergency room, what do they do? They, they check your heart rate, your pulse. They check your blood pressure, your body temperature. Those are all vital signs. They're markers that indicate the functioning and the health or lack of health of the physical body. That's the life that we most clearly see, right? The, the rise and the fall of the chest, the rosy color on the, the cheeks of a person. Signs of life, signs of vitality. And obviously that physical life is tremendously important. In this world, a physical life allows us to function. It's how we interact. It, it's how we interact with the creation. It's how we interact with people. It's, it's even how we interact with God. And therefore, we must maintain that physical life. You all know that that's important. We have to exercise good nutrition. We need to exercise. We should get periodic checkups from the doctor and when something seems to be wrong we need to get that inspected to see if there's something that we need to change something we need to do and we must fuel our bodies that's common among all of mankind we need to eat if we don't eat we can skip it for a few days but ultimately our body will begin to break down it will cease to work or to be able to work that's the physical side of who we are, but we also have a spiritual side. However, that side, according to the Bible, is dead from the very start. That sounds odd, and yet that's exactly what we learn in Ephesians 2. You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You were born dead because you were cut off from God. And so although you physically were alive, you spiritually were dead. You spiritually were in darkness, unable to help yourself, unable to deliver yourself, unable to truly live until Christ intervened. That same passage that talks about how we were dead at the start also talks about how God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. In His grace, God chose some of those dead individuals. Before the creation of the world, He chose them. And those He chose... He called, extending His gospel to them. And He rejuvenated by means of the Holy Spirit, giving them faith by which to respond to that gospel. 
and in the quickening power of the Spirit and the enlivening testimony of the Scripture, He gave us life. New life. Spiritually, spiritual renewal. It's a gift given only to those who've been chosen by God to be saved through Christ. A gift signified and sealed by the sacrament of baptism. Picture baptism as it was, was first done in Palestine. That first generation. As they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, they were called to, to be baptized into the church. And so they took them to a river, to a stream, to a, a pond. And they dunked them down into the water. Only to rise up, washed and cleansed and refreshed. Baptism is a, a signal that we have died. It's a sign that we have been buried with Christ and that we've raised up to new life. And just as, just as our physical life, so too our spiritual life. Birth is not enough to sustain life, right? Once you've been born, now you have to take care of that physical life that you've been given. You have to nurture it. You have to nourish it. And so too with our spiritual life. Once the Holy Spirit has given us that life, now we're called to nurture and nourish that life. We need to be fed. Part of the feeding that we need and that we receive, we receive by ear. We need to be fed by the Word of God as we read it and study it, as it's preached to us and taught to us. We're fed because that draws us closer to God. It helps us to understand who He is and who we are before Him and how we're called to live. That's a, a, a nourishment that we need. But He also ordained a different food for our spiritual life. And that's the Lord's Supper. By this food we receive strength for our souls. By this food we're bound more and more closely to Christ who has the nourishment that we need. This is the new Passover for the new Israel in Christ. Exodus 12. Exodus 12 tells us how God instituted the Passover through Moses. On the night in which they were to be delivered out of Egypt, they were to take each family was to take a lamb. That lamb was to be killed at twilight and they were to take some of the blood of that lamb and use it to paint the door frames of the house. Kids, you remember why that was? God said when he saw that blood on the door frames, the angel of death that was about to pass through Egypt would pass over their house. That's where they got the name for the sacrament, Passover. The angel would pass by them and their lives would be preserved. And then they needed to cook the flesh of that lamb. And he said, this, Thus you shall eat it with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. Now the blood shall be a sign on you, for you on your houses where you are. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you. And then he said they, they would be led out. In fact, the people of Egypt would drive them out of the land. And so the blood would protect them from the, the curse that God was about to bring on Egypt. And the flesh would nourish them, would strengthen them and prepare them for the journey they were about to take out of their slavery and into the freedom of the Lord. It was a physical sacrament. They were to continue doing this every year as a, a memorial, a reminder of what God had done for them, and also of what God was going to do for them. 
And that was a physical reminder. It would nourish their flesh. It would nourish their bodies to show them how God nourished and cared for them in bringing them out of their slavery, in caring for them for 40 years in the wilderness, in bringing them into the land of promise that they had longed for. A physical sacrament for a physical deliverance, but it also pointed forward to a spiritual deliverance, which is what Jesus fulfilled because because their physical enslavement wasn't the real root of their need. They needed not just to be delivered from Egypt, but delivered from their sin, even as we have needed. They needed to be sustained not just physically in the wilderness, but also spiritually in the wilderness of this life. And that's why Jesus came as the true Passover lamb, to cover over their sin and preserve them from eternal death. And also to nurture and strengthen their spiritual life that they might endure and grow and mature as they waited to be ushered into the new heavens and the new earth which the land of Canaan represented. And folks, that's what Jesus accomplished. And that's why with the Lord's Supper, we have a spiritual sacrament, a spiritual meal that hints back at that physical meal. It reminds us that even as God delivered His people from Egypt, so He delivers us from the Egypt of our sin, the Egypt of our enslavement. And even as He sustained them through the the hard wilderness of Sinai, so He sustains us through the, the hard wilderness of this land filled with darkness and brokenness and sin. But we can't do it on our own any more than they could. We can't, they couldn't provide any food. There was no food in the wilderness for them. Until God provided it. There was no water for them to drink. Until God opened up the rock. There is no food. And there is no water. There is no nourishment for us in this land. We tend to forget that living in a town like Pella, a town that's filled with all the vestiges of a Christian heritage. But make no mistake, they're vestiges. We can live on the spiritual vitality of our town no more than your body can live on the beautiful pictures of a feast that you can find in any given cookbook. We don't need those vestiges, those reminders of what our forefathers have done. That doesn't nourish us. What nourishes us is one thing and one thing only. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. It is what Jesus did that gave us life, and it is what Jesus continues to do. The the, communion that He gives with us, the the spiritual life that He imparts to us day by day and moment by moment that gives us the ability to continue going down the road, to continue walking through this wilderness, to pursue that path to the promised land that God has set before us. Jesus is the source of the spiritual nourishment that we need. Physically, our bodies need food. We need bread if we're to function day in and day out. And spiritually, we cannot live, we cannot survive apart from a daily dose of Christ. That's what the Lord's Supper shows you. 
And just as we cannot live without water, without fluids being taken into our bodies, neither can we live without the blood of Christ that cleanses us from those sins that we continue to, to commit. Those offenses that we continue to pile up and His blood washes them away. His blood covers them and refreshes us at the same time that we might pursue that life of holiness, that we might pursue that path to the Lord. Most assuredly, Jesus says, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. We cannot survive on bread and water. We can only survive on the flesh and blood of Christ. That's the goal toward which the, the Lord's Supper directs us. And it provides a sign of Christ for us. That's our second point. That, he is a, or that this sacrament is a sign of the spiritual nourishment that we need. Our confession tells us he gave this sacrament to testify by the, the elements of the sacrament that as certainly as we receive and hold this sacrament in our hands and eat and drink the same with our mouths by which our life is afterward nourished, we do as certainly receive by faith the true body and blood of Christ our only Savior in our souls for the support of our spiritual life. In other words, the Lord's Supper is neither medicine nor magic. That's two ways that it's often been viewed. Some Folks have viewed it as medicine. You know how medicine works. You, you take the pill or you down the liquid and you wait for it to work. You wait for it to bring you health or strength or whatever it's intended to bring. And that's how many folks have seen the Lord's Supper. You eat the bread, you swallow the wine, poop. You've done your part, now you let Him do His part. There's nothing more for you to do. But that's not how it works. Nor does it work like magic. That's how the Roman Catholic Church saw the Lord's Supper. The priest says the magic words, hocus pocus, abracadabra, the bread is no longer bread, now it's the flesh of Christ. As long as I eat of it, it doesn't matter what's in my mind, what's in my heart. As long as I eat of that bread become flesh, I have partaken of Christ and I've received His strength. As long as I partake of the wine that has become blood, I've been nour nourished. But that's not how Jesus ordained it. The Passover was a sign. It was a device for teaching. God said when you do this and your children ask you what do you mean by this service, then you're to explain to them what God has done and how you're to respond to God. It was a sign to teach. And so the Lord's Supper is a sign to teach. It's given to show us what Jesus did. That He had to be broken that we could be made whole. That He had to die that we could have life. That His blood had to be poured out so that we could be cleansed from our sin. The Lord's Supper is given to teach us and also to assure us. Passover did that, didn't it? You want to know if those promises of God are really for you as a Jew? You want to know if you're really part of that people? Well, are you eating the Passover of the Lord? Then it must be for you. It must be a promise that has come to you because He promised that I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. And if you're partaking of that sacramental meal, then you're part of that people. The promises are to you that God is your God. Well, so too the Lord's Supper. And wow, do we need that assurance. 
Because Satan is always whispering, whispering, whispering. Especially in our age, which is surrounded by such deep-rooted skepticism that seems immune to the gospel, immune even to spiritual realities. They teach children in not just the, the state schools, but even the Christian schools, many of them. That if you want to know that something's true, you have to be able to scientifically replicate it. You have to be able to scientifically test it. And if you can't test it, well, it might be an, a comfort to you, but it's not real. It's not something you can trust. It's not something you can count on. And they hear that on the television and they see it in the magazines and the books they read. We do. We all do. And Satan's whispering in the background saying, are you sure it's not just an old wives' tale? Are you sure that it's any better than the, the fables of the Roman Empire? But Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. Take up that bread in your hand. Feel its texture on your fingertips. As real as the calluses on a man's hand. Smell its scent. As true as the scent of a man who's been laboring to carry a cross in the hot sun. Put it in your mouth. Chew. Taste. Is that real? Is it physical? Is it actual? It is. The reality of the physical food cannot be denied. Nor can we deny that that bread, when we take it in our lips when we chew it with our teeth, when we swallow it down our throats, it's going to nourish our bodies. It's going to be united to us and give us strength to go on. And the same is true, says the Lord. For the body of Christ that was broken to give you life, to nourish you, to strengthen you, to provide for you day in and day out. Now take that wine. A precious sample, just a taste of the blood of the covenant. How real is that wine? If you spill it on your white shirt, will it stain? You bet it will. If you drink too much of it, will it get you tipsy? Yes, in fact it will. The reality of the wine is absolutely undeniable. And so too, the reality of the spiritual blood which accompanies it. The wine is a sign given to assure us of the reality that we cannot see with our eyes, but we know with our hearts of what the Lord has done in giving us life, of cleansing us from our sin, and of filling us with the Holy Spirit. Paul declared in 1 Corinthians 11, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Every time the elders pass that bread and offer you the wine, the reality of Jesus' sacrifice is declared. The truth of His poured out blood is proclaimed. The concreteness of His spiritual nourishment on your behalf is affirmed. A beautiful sign given to us which we must believe, which we must receive by faith. And yet, that sign means very little if it's merely a teaching aid. I mean, teaching aids, don't get me wrong, teaching aids are nice, they can help you to understand difficult truths, but they're not indispensable. If you go to school tomorrow, young people, and, and your teachers don't use any teaching aids, they don't use any pictures, they don't use any diagrams, they don't use any object lessons, all they do is stand there and talk to you, 
you'll still get the idea. It might be a little harder. You might have to work a little harder at it, but you won't miss anything essential. Teaching aids aren't essential. But the sacraments are. So the question is, this sacrament, this sign, does it connect us to the source? For many who partake of the Lord's Supper, the answer is no. They receive the bread, but only the bread. And never do they receive the body of Christ. They drink the wine every last time, but that's all they receive is wine. A little tang on the tongue, but that's it. They don't receive the blood of Christ. Why do they receive so little? Why is their partaking limited to the physical elements? Well, it's because they partake with the physical mouth, but not with the mouth of the soul. In order to truly partake of the Lord's Supper, we must partake through faith. Do this, says Jesus, in remembrance of me. You must look to the source if you're truly to be nourished. You must set your heart, not on the bread, not on the wine, but on the one whom it portrays. Do this in remembrance of me. Because the sacrament is not about wine. It's not about bread. The sacrament is about the body and the blood, the substitutionary atonement of our Messiah. The sacrament is about spiritual nourishment, not merely of our body, but of our soul. If we are to receive truly with the soul, then we must receive by the hand and mouth of the soul, which is our faith. Jesus said, This is the will of Him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. Not that everyone who is baptized shall have life and I will deliver him at the last day. Not that everyone who partakes of the Lord's Supper. No. That everyone who looks on me and believes may have everlasting life. And that's the last point. That it is by faith we receive the essence of our spiritual nourishment through the Lord's Supper. When we do that, when we partake not merely with the mouth, not merely by the hand, but by our faith, well then we come to understand. My flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. The people who heard that, most of them, they rejected Jesus. They walked away. In fact, if we look a little beyond what we read, we read many of his disciples when they heard this said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? They complained. And many of them began to leave. But Jesus looked at his apostles. He said, are you too going to leave? Are you also going to depart? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Peter got it. He understood that Jesus is the bread of life, that Jesus is the one who nourishes us, that it's not just about the physical bread, but the one whom the physical bread represents, the one to whom it points us. If we would partake truly, then we must eat and we must drink with our eyes on Christ. Now that has some serious implications. For one thing, it means that 
Everyone who is present is able to obtain some benefit from the Lord's Supper. Not only those who physically partake, but also those not yet admitted to the table. Our younger children, our visitors who've not met with the elders, by observing closely, by rightly reading the sacramental signs and trusting in that which they see and smell before them, all of us are able to partake of some of the essence of the Lord's Supper because they're partaking, if not physically, at least by their heart, by their faith. And yet there is something unique given to those who partake physically. There's something that can be received only when we fully embrace the sacrament. I mean, you can, you can enjoy a good steak externally, right? I don't know about you, but I love a good steak. Every once in a, a while, we'll treat ourselves to a, a restaurant meal. I love to get a good medium rare steak and you know it it comes you don't just dig in you look at it and you appreciate the cut of meat you savor the smell and you cut it and you see the juice flow and oh you can just just deeply appreciate what's there before you your mouth begins to water your stomach begins to rumble you're eager to partake but but you're not satisfied to simply sit there and look at it are you now pretty soon you want, you want to taste it. You want to chew it. You want to, to feel its nourishment. And so too with the supper. We can benefit from it externally as we look upon it, as we consider it, as we ponder the blessing that sits there displayed before us, the blessing of Christ crucified. We put our faith in Him and we are nourished. We are blessed, but we want more. Until you take and eat, remember and believe, you can't enjoy the fullness of that nourishment. Until it passes your teeth, your tongue, your throat, becoming one with you, truly nourishing your body as Christ truly nourishes our souls. Until then you can't receive the fullness of the benefit. And so we ought to treasure that opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper. Is the Lord's Supper about to be celebrated? Then let nothing hinder you from being there. Have you been told that we're about to partake? We're about to participate together in the Lord's Supper? Then pause and truly evaluate your heart. Prepare your, your, your soul to partake. If you have something against one of your brothers or sisters in the Lord, go and deal with it. Insofar as it depends on you, be at peace with all of them. Ensure that you're truly repenting of all your sins. You're truly trusting in the Lord alone for your salvation. You're you're resolved to live before God a life of gratitude because of what He has done and then come with a clear conscience to partake boldly, eagerly, joyfully. And you young people, have you made profession of faith? If not, why not? If you understand what we believe and you, you have the maturity to evaluate yourself, to prepare yourself to come, then what hinders you? Come and meet with the elders and tell them what you believe and ask them that you might be admitted to the Lord's table. And you younger children, ask questions. Ask your parents what it means what it signifies, how we partake. 
And mom and dad, don't, don't see those questions as a, a hindrance, an annoyance. No, no, no. That's a wonderful sign of what the Lord is doing in your children. So, so show them your joy at partaking the Lord's Supper. Eagerly entertain their questions and encourage them when they come of an age of maturity, when they, when they come to an age of understanding, encourage them to meet with the elders. Encourage them to come to the table and be eager for them to join you. But above all, when we partake, let us partake with faith. Trusting that we are receiving the nourishment of Christ's body and blood as truly as our lips and our tongues receive the bread and the wine that is set before us. Eagerly partake knowing that in Christ we receive precisely the meal we need, precisely the nourishment that is necessary to bring us through this wilderness of Sinai and into the, the new heavens and the new earth of Canaan. Christ established the Lord's Supper as a spiritual meal that will nourish and sustain and strengthen His spiritually renewed people. But we must always remember that it is Christ who is the source of our help. He is the one who is signified in this sacrament and therefore the essence of the nourishment we receive is what we find in Christ by faith. So let us come eagerly. Let us come with joy. Let us come with our eyes upon Him and be assured that the Lord will nourish you through the sacrament that you receive. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank you that you provide precisely what we need when we come before you and partake of the Lord's Supper by faith. Give us the faith that we need to partake in truth and grant that we might never take for granted, that we might never take lightly this sacramental meal, but rather that we might cherish the truth that it sets before us. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.